all the little petty things that we get mad at one another about, they dissolve in death and all we're left with is love. And so you might as well just get back to love and oneness now. <laughs> you, know, that's, you know, there's no reason to hold grudges and hate people. Like that's how my soul felt. I was just sending love to anyone and everyone I'd known. And I felt this complete oneness, like this is just what our souls come here to do. We come here to learn lessons. Let's support one another be good in your lives, have fun. And that oneness experience was amazing. I mean, it was just this form of release and forgiveness all on its own. That was Trisha Barker. And this episode, we're talking about near-death experiences. She had hers when she was 22 years old. And although we go into some of the details around her near-death experience, what this really focuses on is what she came back with, what she learned from the experience. It's a story of light and hope and something that I think our world really needs right now. Throughout the episode, we've referenced Trisha's book. It is called Angels in the OR. If you want to find Trisha after listening to this episode, her website is trishabarkernde.com. Over there, she has plenty of links to resources. You'll also see how you can work with her. She does readings and other healings. Let's jump in. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Trisha, thank you for joining me on Here to Thrive today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I was just saying to you, I stumbled across your story on a YouTube video, and I've since seen you actually have a YouTube channel, but I was mesmerized by your life lessons and some of the things you took away from your near-death experience. Oh, thank you. You know, it's been such a joy to connect with people and to talk about spirituality and a near-death experience is a huge awakening for people, especially people like me who are agnostic, you know, who, who go from, you know, no interest in spirituality to kind of a fast track. <laughs> yeah, the, the fast track. I love it. You were pretty young when you had your accident. Can you take us back and share some of those details with us? Yeah. So I was a college student and I'd grown up in a religious home, but I saw a lot of judgment and I, I just didn't vibe with uh, religion at that time in my life. And I, not that I wasn't open to poetry and the beauty of the world and, and uni the universe, but I, I just didn't vibe with religion. So I considered myself agnostic. Well, I had a head-on collision my senior year on my way to run the Austin 10K, which is this big 10K race, and broke my back in three places, had massive internal injuries, and didn't have health insurance. So I waited a long time for surgery. And when I went into surgery, 
I was so surprised that the spirit form goes on. So I saw my surgeons operating on my body. I saw angels in that operating room. And I have to tell you, Kate, like initially I was excited. I mean, I, I thought that maybe we just died and went into the ground and that was it. And people made up all these stories, but I knew my spiritual form and my consciousness to be this reality that continues on. And it was deeply comforting. If that's all that had happened in the near-death experience, I would have been happy you know, because I would have been certain that we go on. One of the reasons I was so mesmerized by your story, and I don't think I've really gone into depth with this on the podcast. I think I've mentioned it in passing, but my father, who has since passed on, he had a near-death experience in his 20s, and he was an incredibly stoic farmer type, uh, very sort of quiet, and for him to have had a near-death experience, I think for me really made it real. You know, he's not someone that was searching for that kind of thing and nor was really discussing it with anyone. I had to pry it out of him, but I was struck by what you talked about in your near-death experience, really mirroring so much of what he said. So if we can go back to that, you're in the operating theater, you are having this major surgery on your back, and then what happens? Do you just notice that you've left your body? Yeah, so I felt as if my eyes were no longer my eyes. Like I could see behind my head, I could see the ceiling, the floor, and I, I floated. And it felt more like this light body that resembled my own body, but this consciousness that continued on. And I felt great peace. The angels were about nine foot, um, and they stood at the end of the bed, and they were deeply intelligent. Everyone's angels are a little bit different. Mine happened to be these powerfully intelligent beings who had healing abilities. And a lot of angels do have that quality of healing. So they were sending information, almost like downloads into my spirit form, telling me what was going on. And then they very playfully wanted to show that they could work through the surgeons. And that ideas stayed in my mind. I thought, isn't it amazing that angels can work through us in our life? They maybe work through you and your podcast, me on my YouTube channel, you know, all of us talking about these spiritual topics. The angels can connect up to the right person who needs help or is feeling depressed or feeling sad and needs that message. Also, they were showing me that as brilliant as the neurosurgeons are, there's also an added element, you know, this kind of magic of the other side, really, this healing light that they sent into my body assured me that I would walk, that I would be fine. And it was this form of intelligence as well. At some point, the monitor stopped. I knew that I was dead. I left that operating room. We call it operating room in the U.S. I guess you call it operating theater. That, that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I Honestly, I live in the USA, and like, I just have so many issues still seven years later that people don't know what I'm saying. So there you go. Theater, room, same thing, people. <laughs> I know, but it causes some uh, problems because my book is Angels in the OR. And so people overseas are, what's, what's the OR? 
<laughs> oh, I do know what an OR is. Yeah, it's angels in the OR people, not in the operating theatre. <laughs> I need I need another version for overseas. <laughs> so you hear that you're flatlined. You know you know that you're dead. You can see this kind of 360 degree view. So you're literally looking at your body and you're looking at the surgeons working on you, right? Right. And when I realized I was dead, I thought, Ooh, they're going to have to revive me. And my back is open. And that's very bloody because it's a very long incision. And my hip was open because they were taking bone from the hip and putting it in my back. So I thought, Ooh, I am out of here. And the spirit form can simply fly. You just put your intention where you want to go. So I left to that operating room, saw my stepdad get a candy bar Never thought that that was an important part of my experience, but researchers love that because it was later verified that he did get that candy bar. And my mom and dad at that time were certain I had died. And so I think there's a psychic bond between parents and kids. And it's just evident to me that they truly felt my death in that moment. And then I went over the night sky and I began to feel that beautiful oneness. And I always tell people like all the little petty things that we get mad at one another about, they dissolve in death and all we're left with is love. And so you might as well just get back to love and oneness now. <laughs> you, know, that's, you know, there's no reason to hold grudges and hate people. Like that's how my soul felt. I was just sending love to anyone and everyone I'd known. And I felt this complete oneness, like this is just what our souls come here to do. We come here to learn lessons. Let's support one another be good in your lives, have fun. And that oneness experience was amazing. I mean, it was just this form of release and forgiveness all on its own. Then I felt this intelligence of God coming toward me and I ended up in some sort of cosmos and I had a bit of a life review. The life review is prominent in many near-death experiences and some people when they're quite a bit older fear that because they think they're going to be harshly judged even when you're judged, you're held, in my experience, in this loving light, and it's just instruction for your soul on how to do better, how to be better. There's a, a quote, a meme that goes around a lot. If, if you would have known how to do better, you would do better. And that's the energy of that life review, that basically I was shown how to be less judgmental, how to be more inclusive, how to see into people's hearts and not judge them based on fashion or style or their education or things like that, but to really look at who they were. And it was almost embarrassing to me at 22 to realize how silly I had been in my judgments and who I let into my life and who I didn't. And I came back and I was like, oh, I want to be someone who cares about people, who is that person who makes gatherings warm and makes people feel respected and loved and seen. And that was my mission in that point that I mean just just hearing you say that right like that understanding of I want to be the person that makes other people feel warm I mean that makes me feel emotional just you actually saying that because it is that almost that other meme of imagine if we saw each other as souls rather than in these human forms Exactly. You know, and, and I've been so blessed to have been jumping ahead. You know, my mission is to work as a teacher and, and a professor. And I've been so blessed to see that. I, I don't see students walking into my classroom. I see souls. 
and my mission is to just help them on their journey. And it's been a shift to try to see all of life that way. You know, like it's easy with the students. <laughs> when I, you know, pried into my dad's uh, near-death experience, he talked about he never had a life review. He didn't go that far away, for lack of a better way to put it. He was outside his body. He was in his hospital room. He went outside of his hospital room, I believe. But you'd had angels standing at the foot of your bed with that that bright and powerful light speaking to you. My dad said he saw a bright light that was so warm and loving that all he wanted to do was go towards it, that it, it was hard for him to put into words what it felt like. But it sounds very similar to your experience of this feeling of oneness and love that is it difficult to put that into words, into human words? It is. You know, the next part of my experience was I saw my grandfather, who was the only person I knew over there, and then I went towards that light of God. And that's that's a big part of the near-death experience because like your dad, it's so magnetic. It's so amazing. It's so beautiful. I never wanted to come back. So I realized that I'd never been fully loved. I didn't know how to love myself. And this light was loving me completely. And I felt safe to love God and be loved by God. I felt as if I was finally okay. As if this struggle here just didn't make sense. Cause I was just a piece of something that was broken. And in the presence of God, I was whole and wonderful. And so that type of love is just, it's, I call it an atomic bomb of love in comparison to anything we've had here. You know, even great passion feels like just a piece of that love of God. Even family love just feels like a piece. And so if you had a particularly difficult life, you're especially going to be drawn to that light. But even if you've had a great life and you love your family, you're still going to be drawn to that light. <laughs> you know, it's either way you're, you're going to want to stay there. And so, uh, I totally understand your dad's experience with that white light. And it's funny I, you mentioned that wanting to, you know, wanting to stay there and having a good life because my dad actually got very angry at himself and his near-death experience because he wanted to go to the light, but my mom had three little babies and he was angry at himself that he wanted to go so badly. And that's when he popped back into his body. Wow. Yeah. So Mary Neal is another near-death experiencer who had several kids in this great life. She was a doctor and she too just... She felt as if, and this this hurts family members, but there's this sense of eternal time, you know, that's timeless in that realm. And so you feel like you're going to see people in the blink of an eye. So if you stay there, you think, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> like, in the blink of an eye, we'll all be back together. <laughs> Although here on earth, people are like, you died and left me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of reassuring to think that all our, our loved ones who are on the other side, and I know your dad has passed too, that we'll just see them in a blink of an eye as far as they're concerned. Yeah, yeah, they they really see it as quite soon. And then they remind me to enjoy these moments and to not take it all so seriously, which, which really is true. We do take way too much too seriously. And in 50, 100 years, does it really matter what matters? And what I learned, those lessons on the other side is that kindness matters, the love that we give to one another, the inspiration, how we remind others to, I mean, my particular mission was to work as a teacher 
and remind these students to turn on their lights. And you can still be agnostic and turn on your light. That can be this power that you have because you're following a life goal and a mission to clean up the oceans or to you know do something fantastic. You're just on fire with intelligence and drive and you know, that light can represent many things. It can represent purpose and joy and service. And, but it's, it's the opposite of feeling bad about yourself, feeling like there's no hope, feeling like you have no purpose and just not being in that flow of goodness. Mm, So I want to hear a little bit more about how you got your mission. You were saying how you went towards this light of God, and then you had this kind of moment of understanding. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when I got closer to that light of God, I I gave up the idea of returning here. That just didn't seem important. And at some point God stopped me and said, look down. And there was this beautiful river and there were souls that were walking along beside the river. And some of them were covered in darkness. Some of them were covered by their own light and their own light kind of connected to God. And they had more power because of that light, more joy. And God said, oh, you're going to go down there and you're going to teach and you're going to remind students to turn on their lights. And I actually argued with God for a moment. (laughs) You're like, ah, thank you. No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, uh, I was born in the 70s and I'm not a traditional woman. I'm not going to be a nurse or a teacher. Uh, No, I came here to to have a much more powerful job than teacher. No, thank you. That that grew up poor. No, 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 no. Yeah, (laughs) not interested in this mission. Thank you much, Lee. (laughs) And and I don't even like public speaking. And so (laughs) that was my soul was kind of crumpled up. I call it like a a softball or something and hurled back into my body. So (laughs) I kind of imagine God like humorously doing this like ha 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 this is the last thing I said to you you'll never forget it (laughs) (laughs) yeah try getting that mission out of your head right (laughs) (laughs) and I woke up and you know after a couple of days and and the ER was like yep I'm gonna be a teacher you can't I just knew that if I tried to go against that mission everything would be a mess in my life I knew I had to follow it you are hurtled back into your body and you say in your book, Angels in the OR, that you almost didn't want to call yourself Trisha for a couple of days. It felt very strange to be back in human form. Yes, it, it truly did. I, the nurses always ask you when you come out of surgery to say your name. And I kept referring to myself in third person because I still felt like some part of my consciousness was hovering above me, looking at me, or I felt like my consciousness just filled up the room. I don't think I was fully back in my body. And so they insisted. And I remember some sadness around that because I thought, ooh, I feel like I know so much more out there. And I feel smarter and more enlightened and just like my consciousness not shoved in my body was something I liked better than being in my body and and my body was pretty broken and there's a lot of pain I can yeah I can only imagine when I read your book the amount of physical pain that you then had to endure on that road to recovery Yeah. And physical pain is something a lot of people contact me about, you know, when they, they they're in 
a hospice or very ill. And I think we need to teach people how to get out of body in meditation. I think this is really important, both for anyone who is afraid of death, you know, to have an out of body experience can really put you at ease or to be able to lucid dream, you know, then there's this sense of, Hey, the, the soul really does travel on like this, this body is not, not our total experience. I'm fascinated. Is this kind of out of body lucid dreaming? Do you believe it's teachable? You know, I've come across a few people who have taught courses in this. I haven't taken their courses, but I certainly have, I know that this exists, that there are workshops around that. And I know Joe Dispenza talks about it a bit and how challenging it was for him at first. Like at first he got just directly out of his body and hit the glass window, got scared, went back in his body. And then, you know, it was this progression of, oh no, the ceiling scares me. Okay. I'm back in my body you know, until he was finally able to fly. Fascinating. So I guess with you having a near-death experience, right, you just would have bypassed all of that because you were just catapulted out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then it became easy for me in those times after the near, especially that first year when I was still in physical pain, it was easy for me to disconnect from the body during meditation. So I think that's the problem is, or the solution is once you know you can do it, you can you could do it with more ease, but a lot of people are afraid of those first seconds outside of their body, or they're afraid they won't get back to their body, or, you know, there's this sense of, it probably takes a lot to teach someone, but once they get it, it is doable. Fascinating. The other part of your story and the near-death experience that I found really striking was around this concept of those angels that were standing in the OR, and obviously that is the name of your book. You said there were these like three light beings, and you mentioned in the book that angels is just the best word you would have to describe them. Yeah, it took me a long time to call them angels. I just called them light beings. And sometimes people would question me and say, well, how do you know they're not aliens? And, and I would just say, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just know that they were incredibly loving, incredibly powerful, incredibly beautiful, and they were higher beings. So they had an intelligence that was higher than my own, as if they understood this realm, they were there to guide me. And it was this powerful experience to see the telepathy, the way they communicate. So they communicate with telepathy, this light through their eyes. And I, I never forgot that image. It was very striking to me because we've heard the term angels, but to see them in this way as strong and powerful healers was fascinating. And then, you know, people in religious communities sometimes get angry at these stories and they say, how do you know that this wasn't a trick of your mind, blah, blah, blah. I was like, your soul knows, come on, your soul knows the difference. You know, when you encounter something that is so deeply good, you, you couldn't possibly be tricked by this. Mm. 
and the angels one of my favorite parts is your of your story and you skipped over it a little bit before was when the angels worked through the neurosurgeon but they, it sounds like they were a little bit cheeky Trisha they were like watch this right <laughs> yeah they were and it was almost as if they wanted me to see yes the neurosurgeons are brilliant and they have these skills but we're adding the true magic that is going to help your spine. And I saw their light touch on all the pieces of fragment, bone fragment that was pressing on my spine and dissolve it to some degree, you know, that, or just ensure that the surgeons would find it and pick it out of my, my spine because I had lost feeling in my left leg. And I remember thinking, oh God, if I can't run, if I can't walk, I don't have a family that, you know, I can live with and depend on for the rest of, you know, this, this life to that degree, I just don't see staying here. You know, that was really my thought. And so the angels were just assuring me that I would indeed walk and run. And it was due to their help. Due to their help. And coming back to this mission of helping others turn their lights on, and your mission was to help others turn on their lights through being a teacher. I just love that phrase, turn on their light. Have you always felt like the angels have worked through you or helped you do that? Yeah, and I think a lot of people in service positions feel this. You can wake up depressed and tired and drink your cup of coffee, and then the minute you put your feet in the classroom, you see, oh, God, there's a student who was beat up last night, or, oh, this student just broke up with someone, and the student doesn't understand how to write this paper, this student has no self-esteem, and you walk into a classroom full of that, and you know you have so many people to help that you forget about yourself. And, and you realize that you really do have the tools. Certainly, you know, my life had prepared me in, in various ways to deal with kids who suffered abuse or self-esteem problems or were bullied. And that just gave me this energy to fix it, in a sense, or to do what I could. And in the sense of Maybe some people were there for me in my life. Maybe people didn't know how to be there for me. So I thought, well, I will be there for these students to the best of my ability. And yes, do the angels work through people? Definitely in realistic ways and then in energetic ways too. There are times later when I lecture more frequently at the college level and I've felt, I've been lucky enough to feel some kind of energy come through me and I don't understand why it took a lesson in a particular direction, but I've had students come up and hug me after lectures and say, you were speaking directly to me. I don't understand why you said what you said, but it has altered my path. <laughs> so I've gotten some confirmations. That's amazing. So with all of this kind of knowledge that was injected into you in this near-death experience, what are some of the big lessons that you feel like you've taken from that that have helped ground you even through hard times since then? Yeah, that healing is always possible. And I saw how fast and complete it was in the presence of God. So I really have a lot of admiration for all the people who are doing healing work and energetic work. And I don't want people to suffer from various traumas for the rest of their life. I want a combination of modalities to work. So healing is always possible and that other side can assist is one thing I believe. 
but I also know that love is all that we take with us. So the love that we give, people misunderstand this concept and they'll write to near-death experiencers and say, well, nobody loves me. And you know, we write back, we'll go volunteer at a homeless shelter, an animal shelter. And we're talking about you giving love. We're not talking about you being popular. <laughs> like, <laughs> so love is all that matters, all that we take with us and go to nature over and over again, the idea of nature being this healing force as well, or this force that simply writes our minds, just like a hug can help us with endorphins and feeling okay. Setting up against a tree can also help us, can help us deal with depression better, can help us come up with more creative ideas. And I think we forget just how powerful nature is. Oh my gosh, so powerful, just those three points. Yeah, there's a lot more, I guess, you know, like calling to God to help us, to give us energy, and whether whether you believe in Jesus or God or, you know, an angel is going to help you, just calling on a higher power in that moment to help you gives you energy. And I know that it's possible to not only change a lot within yourself, but to have the energy to do the things that you want to do in this world, especially when you add that for the highest good, you know, like, and that, that plays out in different ways than than the ego might like, but it certainly does have good effects. There, you just reminded me of another thing that struck me as part of your story. And that was when you were on the other side that you could feel the prayers of people. Yeah, prayer is an energy. So if you, when people say sending love and light or sending prayer or sending energy, it's true. It is an energy that that moves like a wind and it is something that is deeply comforting. So does it alter the course of things? Sometimes not, but it still is felt and it still is an energy that is important. And so does it alter the course at times? Maybe because someone has enough energy to get through a difficult part in their life instead of giving up. So we literally are helping one another on our paths when we send good energy. Mm, It really struck me. And the other thing that I'm just really moved by is what you just said about it's the love that you give. Yes, that's that's a concept that is sorely misunderstood because there's so many manifestation courses about bringing, you know, love into your life, bringing that great soulmate and not that that's not important. It's beautiful. It's a, you know, the, the spiritual journey can be heightened by having a partner who helps you in that way, but what do we take with us if that doesn't happen for you? We take the love that we give. So did I love writing this book? Yes, I put love into it. (laughs) Did I, do I love talking with you now? Do I love working with my students? Like all the things that I do, I just make sure I love them. Oh, I, I just, yeah, that really just warms me up. Trisha, I ask a few just intermission questions to get to know people a little bit better. Are you okay if I ask you a few? Oh yeah. Do you have a favorite self care activity? Yes, this is a good one for anyone like you or anyone who speaks publicly or is out there. I make sure that I cleanse my energy every morning and every night. And so I do a meditation 
if I don't have time for a meditation, I just imagine it while I'm in the shower, just like the shower washing away all the energetic threads and thoughts of anyone who has, you know, thought or said anything about me and really just kind of stay within my eight foot bubble of light and just remind myself that I'm here to give that light. Oh, that's powerful. I've actually done that before. I haven't done it for a long time, that idea of just having my shower wash away. The, the lack of a better word, the, the energetic dirt of the day. Yeah. Do you have a book that has touched you in your life? Like an important oh, book that landed? So many of them and at different times on the journey. There's a quote I love that readers are leaders. And I try to ignite a fire in my students for reading because if you're down and your thinking is causing some of your depression, you can find a book that alters your thinking and suddenly your world begins to change. So I, you know, I can't even pick one in particular that, <laughs> that stands out to me, but, but I know right at, well, since we're talking about the near death experience, I was so grateful for the work of Raymond Moody and, and Danny and Brinkley who, who talked about near death experiences at that time. And so that's part of why I continued to talk about it because we need other people to relate to us in these experiences. But as an English major, I have loved some of the great stories that talk that combine philosophy, psychology, and I'm kind of a fan of the Russian writers, believe it or not, you know, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and some of the really great literature, because I think it shows how complex humanity is. And you can look at the story of someone's life, but behind what they're going through, oh, there's a whole drama going on inside them in, in their lives. Right, and how true. We're so complex. I, We are <laughs> all human. Is there a life lesson that you feel like you have wrestled with or that has taken you a good while, long while to learn, Tricia? Yeah, there's a couple of them. And I honestly, one of the hardest ones, we get a lot of programming in childhood about how life is. And one of my life lessons from a parent was life is hard. And so there was some part of my soul that thought if I didn't struggle a lot, then people were going to dislike me. You know, like if you were this uh, trust fund kid and everything just came to you wonderfully and you never had to struggle, then you're not likable. That was, that was my um, implant in my head that life is a deep struggle. And I thought, it's taken me a long while to go, hey, it's okay. Not everything has to be a struggle. Some things can come with greater ease, and that doesn't mean you didn't earn it through work, and that doesn't mean that you're not worthy of it. So I think sometimes when people have hard childhoods, they don't feel worthy of goodness. So I I struggle still with that and kind of open to greater and greater receptiveness to just goodness while I'm here. I think that's so true that some of our programming and just how it gets lodged in us, right? And can often be so unconsciously driving our behavior. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is an interesting one for you, Trisha. How would you describe the soul? 
Oh, the soul is the truest part of ourselves and the part that is perfection in this sense. And it's also, it records everything that we do, but it's greater than we are. So it's the part of us that flies free, the part of us that knows it's part of God, whatever your mind's belief systems might be. Your soul is the part of you that can fly, that can laugh, that can experience the greatest bliss that you could ever imagine. And then the final question, what does fulfillment mean to you? Oh, you know, the first thing that came to my mind, and so I'll just say it, is doing exactly what you said you set out to do on this soul journey. So no matter how challenging it is, if you keep walking in the direction of your dreams, you will accomplish them to some degree. You know, it may not be the absolute degree that you wanted, but you will get there. And I think your soul is proud of yourself when you don't give up, you know, whatever that might be, when you just keep finding a way to express what your soul came here to do. When you talk about dreams and following them, would you say that is the path towards our life mission typically? A lot of times. And what's so funny is, you know, I've, I've seen my dreams change and the dream might be, yes, I want to write poetry, but the dream later becomes, oh, I've created community with really amazing spiritual people who like poetry. And now, you know, my poetry's out there and their poetry's out there and we all love poetry. You know? So it, it becomes a different kind of dream. It's not just about, you know, the ego just sees your book up on a shelf and goes, you know, that's where I belong. And the life path is, oh, I'm connected to beautiful writers who share amazing insights and spiritual experiences all over the world. And we're one big community. Mm, so kind of like the dream, if you follow the dream, the path will kind of evolve on the yes. way. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Thinking practically, Trisha, as we start to wrap up, what would you say our listeners can do to connect with that divine energy? It sounds so simple and people say it all the time. So I don't want to just say meditation, but I want to say, Hey, try pulling in the energy of God to any situation that is troubling you. So say you just are triggered. You just have a moment of feeling anxious in a, a moment, go walk in nature. If the weather's nice, if you can, and on that walk, say, God, give me the energy and the insight to handle this problem in my life or just take it away. And I can't tell you how many times I've taken a walk and I don't even remember what I was trying to work on. You know, like it's not even that important and it's just gone. So would you say that really that intention that you hold to connect is the greatest part? Yeah, that if you just, if you believe 100% that God's energy, that this unconditional love can heal certain things in you, then if you can open to it, and sometimes I'm not able to fully open and so it's, or it's going to take longer for it to work itself out. But when I can, it, it's amazing the amount of healing that can come through. You also mentioned meditation. How do you meditate? Do you have a favorite way of connecting yeah. in this form. And that's why I hesitated to go into it because I've seen people 
get so much benefit from mantra meditations and I like them. I've seen people get so much benefit from guided meditations. I like those on occasion. I think I'm like a sampler plate when it comes to meditation, (laughs) but I can, I can certainly just do my own form of meditation, which is just let go of everything and connect to that light of God, which I know a lot of people don't, they feel like they're watching their breath or their mind is wandering and meditation is pretty easy for me, I guess, if that makes sense. So to me, if you can do that, if you can let go of everything and just connect to energy and stay in that beautiful realm and see what happens, then do that. If you can't do that very well, then train your mind with mantras and guided meditations until you can. I've, I came across a meditation a number of years ago that I found very powerful and it was kind of like a mishmash of the two. So it was about focusing on the breath, but my intention was always to breathe in the light. And so... I've found that useful people just to have that intention of breathing and the light and being energized by the light. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's a good combo. Yeah. (laughs) If you had to leave our listeners with just one thought today, Trisha, what would it be? Oh, so first extend that love of God to yourself, to every chakra in your body, to any pain, to any emotional pain, and and really just allow that love to work on you. And then do something kind, whether it's sending an email to someone to tell them how much you appreciate them or whatever it is, just do something that puts you in the flow of adding goodness to this world. That was the lovely Trisha Barker who graciously shared her experiences of those near-death moments and the lessons she learned, which I take as ones of love, unity, kindness, things that I think we can benefit from at the moment. I think there's so much power in knowing we are supported by angels And that they can work through us, that we can call on that light from the other world to help strengthen and embolden us during tough times. One thing that I know that will stick with me from this episode is that one thought that it is the love that we give that we can take with us. Oh, heartwarming, filled up my soul just a little bit more listening to this again. Now we're going through some tumultuous times and I hope that we can focus on these ideas of kindness for our fellow people. As per usual, it would mean so much to me if Here to Thrive has helped you in some way. If you can take the time to leave a rating and a review that really helps how the podcast is seen in the apps. Also, I was kind of excited around the election. I worked out how to get onto Twitter. So if you want to come find me over there, I might actually start using it. What do you call like a Twitty? It's not a username. Is it a handle? Well, mine is at Kate Snowwise. So that's me. Go find me there. And I'm going to see if I can work out how to to use it. Oh, beautiful people, 
just take care of yourself at the moment. Please take care of one another. Kindness, caring, it is the love that we give that we will take with us. Keep thriving, beautiful people. Keep thriving. Mm -hmm.